This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning, celebration. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us, and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this sunny, cheery Wisconsin morning. Glad that you came. Where is everybody else? Come on. It's not that bad out there. Just slow down a little bit. Where's Wisconsin people? Anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we started a new series. You saw it up on the screen based on that scripture. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. What does it mean to create a culture where people cut people slack and overlook their shortcomings and their failures? How do we handle people that hurt us and offend us? And doing a series about that. I was in Detroit about a week ago. Uh, Detroit area, and met uh, a pastor there who has a, an inner city church, and we were just chatting freely. Actually, we were, it was after a seminar, and we went to the hotel, and we were hungry, and we we're like this little town called, what is this place called? Imlay, Imlay, Michigan. It's like, you know, makes Stevens Point look huge, but anyway, it's a little tiny, tiny place in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing... You know, we got done, and we're really hungry, and we walk in, and there's all these people eating pizza. Went, I smell pizza. <laughs> and it turns out they had been at the event. Said, Come on over. So we're sitting there talking and chatting and stuff, and I'm hearing his story, a dramatic story, and as he's sharing his story, I'm going, my church needs to hear this. Celebration Church needs to hear this, because this is exactly along the line that we are talking, what it means to experience forgiveness even when we are terribly, terribly wrong. So this morning, uh, Kevin Ramsey is going to be coming. I uh, almost canceled earlier on Friday when the forecast said it was going to be the end of the world. And then the forecast later said it's going to be fine. And I said he's back on. And then the next day, we weren't sure what it was going to be. Anyway, he finally made it. We made it home. Not everybody's here, but that's okay. They're watching online, and we'll have this around for a while. Would you please welcome Kevin Ramsby as he comes to share his dramatic story with us this morning? Amen. We had just finished up um, a whole entire week of outreach and service projects in the community, and during that time, we always um, have our kids go back to Illinois to visit their grandparents. At the last minute, we made a decision that 
that my wife Sarah would go back to pick them up um, instead of having them come home, which ended up being an incredible um, choice for us at the time. Sarah, um, this is an emergency consumer uh, report off West Grand Boulevard. Please uh, return my call for Kevin I-A-M-B-U-S. That evening, I'd just been working on the computer, doing finalizing some things from our previous uh, work that we had done in the city. It was about midnight when I finally um, just dozed off and remember just kind of putting the computer to the side and laying down and went to bed. At about 3 in the morning, I just remember hearing the sound of this old glass breaking or hitting the ground or something. I jumped up to my feet. My heart was racing. I was yelling as loud as I could, you know, get out, get out, this is my house. It was when I hit the last two steps. I remember making eye contact with him for a brief second, just looking into his eyes. There was almost a coldness, um, an absence of any feeling or emotions. He was just, um, he was just there. He didn't say anything to me initially. It was just, he just began stabbing me. Almost instantly I began thinking um, about my kids and in my mind I was saying I can't believe this is happening. I tried to block as many times as I can to try to block the, the knife stabs coming down. They hit me in um, the cheek and the, the temple and uh, my arms and at one point in time um, I was able to wrestle the knife away from them for a brief second and it was there that I noticed the knife had somehow broke initially and I had a large section of the knife in my hand. It ended up cutting through my thumb and I could no longer hold it. The man ended up going and grabbing the knife again after it fell out of my hand. Finally, I fell flat on the ground thinking I was paralyzed. It was at that time that he spoke the first words to me, which he wanted to know where the keys and where the money were. I told him I didn't have any money and my keys were in the kitchen. He came back mad because he didn't find them asked again, where are the keys and where's the money? And I told him, you know, please, I have two kids. And he simply walked back in and stabbed me a couple more times. I really began to lose hope pretty quickly. The reality was beginning to set in that I probably will never see my family again. Closing my eyes and just begin to wait and just wait for there to be no more life. At some point in time, it was like I was awakened, like shaken. And so it was at that time that I began to pray for my wife that she would just know how much I loved her and how much I cared for her and how special she was. I began to pray for my nine-year-old daughter. I began to pray for my son, Noah. At that point in time, I thought life was over, but I heard four words that said, they still need you. And it was at that point in time where everything changed and I went from complete hopelessness of my life was over and was resolved to die but it was when I heard those words they still need you that all of a sudden I was I've got to live good morning how are you doing Good to be in enemy territory today in Packerland. Actually got to go see uh, Lambeau Field uh, with a friend I played college basketball with, and he just goes, let me show you something you've never seen in Detroit, and showed me the big uh, Super Bowl trophy, and I was like, 
was like, all right, I see how you are here. And so good thing we're talking about forgiveness today because now I got some offenses I had to take care of there. And so we're up last night dealing with that all night. But it is awesome to be here. Um, even in this cold, beautiful weather here, we get the same weather stuff in Michigan. So it's, this is totally normal for me. But um, just want to, just is such a privilege and honor. And when I heard that you guys were in this series, um, I just, to me, there's such a passion and joy to help people on this journey of forgiveness. Because one of the things I've learned in my life um, is that forgiveness is not like, a, it's not this process. It's just, it's a fight. Isn't it forgiving people tough? It's just something that's not natural. So um, one of the things I, I saw, that video you just saw, it's, I know I looked a little bit younger, and that, that video was filmed from the show I Survived. They did a big thing on us, and so we were able to put that together. But it was in, uh, this year it'll be 10 years since that attack. But, you know, for me, it seems like it was just yesterday. Have you ever had something happen to you in life and it just, you know, it just, it just stays alive for so long inside of you? It just seems like yesterday. I can't remember what I ate for dinner yesterday, but I can remember everything that happened that night 10 years ago. So, um, but that night was crazy for me to be able to rush down the stairs. It's something we had been pastoring in the inner city. We've been in the inner city of Detroit for over 20 years and we've, you know, from working with gang members and people on the streets. And I mean, we've lived in the community and so it was home for us. This was, we'd invested all of our life savings, built a beautiful home, not built, but renovated, it was abandoned, just made it our home. And we had just moved in there about nine months before when this man high on crack cocaine um, broke into a front window of our house. And as he broke in, crawled through the window, it was about mid, uh, three in the morning. I heard the glass and I picked up my 12 gauge tennis racket, strung tennis racket, left my man card on the bedroom dresser there on that one and um, went down to confront him with my racket. He had a, a large kitchen knife. It would be the largest one that you'd probably have in your knife block at home. So it was about that fat and about that long. And as I ran down the stairs yelling, this is my house, this is my house, um, a man popped around the corner in the last two steps and all I could do was lun lun lunge at him to try to tackle him. And just as I jumped, I gave him a split second to lower his knife and the first stab wound went right into my abdomen. And um, it was just for there for a brief few seconds or minutes, we began to fight. He just began just wielding his knife and I was just trying to cover up, hit me in the temple, went all the way through my cheek, hit me in my throat. I mean, it just was, it was not going good. You know, there's that song, cause you had a bad day. That was a bad day. Um, and. Um, ended up falling on the ground and the man ended up just jumping on top of me, straddling me and just began stabbing me over and over again. Um, this was everything I could do was just trying to protect myself to block the stab wounds. And one of the times he was coming down, I was able to grab the blade as it was coming down. And as I grabbed it, the whole knife blade itself about that long just broke and it ended up in my hand. He ended up with the handle. And it was in that second that I was just like, okay, I've got the knife. I can start defending myself. And so I began to try to stab him to get him off me. Problem was, is when I was doing so, I was holding the actual blade, not a handle. And so it severely damaged my thumb. And so it cut all the tendons. I couldn't hold it no more. It fell out of my hand. And um, as he scrambled to get it, I tried to get back up. And right as I was about to jump up to get back on my feet, the guy had gotten the knife back, jumped on my back, and then just began stabbing again, just 10 times to the back of the head, six or seven to the shoulder. And the worst was the six to the, the neck and the spine area where 
You know, have you ever did that, you know, that old school thing where you shake hands and they buzz you like, Zzz, you know, that kind of that funny thing? All I could say is it was like, it's what it felt like. It was just every time the stab would come, it was like, felt like there was electrical current shooting through my body to the point I fell flat on my face and I literally was convinced I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I felt stuck to the ground. I just remember there, I had this 70-pound black lab dog named Maggie and I just, you know, I say had because after that night, we gave her to our women's ministry home and I said, you can take her because she was worthless to me. Um, and then we upgraded um, a pastor at Times Square Church in New York, bought us a German shepherd dog. So we upgraded. That was too much for us. So we downgraded to a Yorkie. And then we were like, you know, had the, I'm like, that's not going to help me. But, um, but I just remember looking at her going like, why aren't you doing something? Take one for the team. Help her. I walk you. I feed you. I bathe you. And you're doing nothing. <laughs> and I just remember just, I was desperate. And I wanted this dog to help me. And it didn't, and nor was there anyone else that could. The man just began asking where the keys are money, and when he couldn't find them, he would come back, stab me, just drag me. And finally, he dragged me all the way to my kitchen floor. For the last time, he asked me, where are the keys and where's the money? And at this point, I was, I mean, I was mad because I knew my life most likely was over. I went to bed that night, working on the computer, typing out all the lists of people who had, we've reached in our outreaches in the city, put it away, and now all of a sudden, three hours later, like, my life is over. I just remember just trying to look up at him just to tell him because I was angry, and just when he said, where's the keys or money, I just remember trying to yell at him saying, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm dead. And I put my head on the cold ceramic tile of my new home that we had made it our dream home, and I closed my eyes, and I just waited to die. And it was during that time, it was, I don't know how much time had passed. The police believe I lost consciousness because there was a, later there was a big pool of blood there. But I just, there was this moment where I just, just became alert and I knew I was fading in and out. And, and I just, I began praying. And I had a, I began to pray to God. I don't know what you would do. I don't know. Put yourself in that scenario. What would you pray for if you're me laying on the floor, convinced life's over, no one there to help you, not even a dog, man's best friend, fail. I mean, nothing's there. Like, what would you pray? What would you ask for God in that moment? And for me, it was simple. I, I prayed and, and I was always taught, you know, pray specific. Don't pray like, God, um, let your presence be here and the, the fill this place and make me feel wonderful. I was, it was specific. God, let me know that you know what is going on right now. Like, I need to know he knew, that he wasn't surprised like I was. And so I prayed and said, God, give me a word. Give me a scripture. Have you ever been in a moment where you just need God? You just get, if God just can show you from his word what he says about what you're going through, you're like, I'm okay. God knows. This is what God says. I'm good. And for me, I just knew, I just needed God to give me a word. Then I said, God, you know, let me see angels. I don't know where that came from because I'm not one of those angel guys, but I was like, uh, I was like, I don't know if I was expecting to see some angels darting around the room, some lights or some feathers or I don't know. But I was like, you know, and I said, or let me see lights. And my wife always, she always gives me a hard time. Like, why would you ever pray for lights? That's the dumbest prayer you could ever pray in your life. To see lights means you're not here. But I was just desperate. I just need to know that God knew where I was at and what I was going through right now. Have you ever been there before? You just want God to know. Like, God, do you see, hello? Do you see what's going on? 
And as I waited and closed my eyes, I wanted, and I waited, I waited for some verse to pop up in my head or something. Or, and as I waited there, it was complete silence. I literally was, God was nowhere around. I, I, I just remember sitting there going, okay, nothing. And so I began to pray my final prayers. I prayed for my wife. That morning, um, my wife was getting ready to go out of town. And so as every man, when their wife's getting ready to go out of town, you wanted to have a love connection. And um, you just wanted to just, never mind, you guys are. <laughs> I thought that would go over with laugh your way pastor here. I mean, like, come on. I'm a, have you heard his seminars? <laughs> like, you got to work on my delivery on that one or something. But, you know, I did the whole rub the shoulder moment, and she shot me down. And I just remember as a man, I was like going, okay, all right. And we didn't have no fight, but as she jumped in the car, I just remember this, like, I didn't tell her I loved her. And now I'm sitting on the floor. My life's over, and I'm sitting here praying my final prayers. I remember praying, God, let her know what I should have told her this morning, that I loved her. I prayed for my daughter. I said, God, keep every jerk of a boy away from her because I won't be able to be there. And I said jerk in that prayer too. I was like, no holding back. I was serious about that one. And I said, God, don't let my son Noah be angry at you and blame you for his dad following God, serving in the inner city where no one's. We just planted a church a year and a half ago in a zip code 48205. It's nicknamed 48205. I don't know why God keeps sending me back to these areas. But we just planted a new church there, and I knew that I didn't want Noah to go serving God equals my dad being taken. And as I was praying for my son, I heard these words, they still need you. And it was, I don't know where it came from, but it was as real as can. And when I heard those words, my nickname, I don't look it now, but my nickname in high school was Rambo, just so you know. Anyone remember Rambo Sylvester Stallone? Okay, three of you. Um, <laughs> online, do you guys remember? But I was the guy who had the mullet, blown it, had the, you know, guns, wore the cut-off t-shirts, cut-off sleeves, you know, I was like, and um, I remember I, I burnt Rambo in my arm with a knife, and then the next day when I saw it, I like, why did I, I don't even remember doing it, because I drank too much lemonade, it was before Christian days, and I was like, but that was me, it was like, my friends hated going out with me, because they're like, we would always talk trash, and you would never say something, and the next thing you know, you're bringing a bat out of the car, and we're like, no, 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 we're just trying to act up, we didn't really, I mean, that was me, and so when I heard the words, they still need you, that someone needed me not to just stay on the ground, not to just give up, not just to quit, not just to stay a victim, not just to stay wounded, but keep fighting. Man, it was a game changer. And so I, at that moment, I began to, I couldn't walk at the moment, but all of a sudden I began trying to stand up. And as I stood up, I quickly remembered, I, or I just saw how bad I was hurt because as I stood up, my insides were on the outside of me. So I had to pick them up. And so guys, I know this is, Wisconsin, so you guys understand grilling, but it'll change the way you grill forever when you have to carry your insides. I mean, whenever you're cooking kielbasa, Italian sausage, hot, you will never use your hands. You will always use a tongs after you had to carry your insides, but just, anyway, side commercial. Um, see, I'm only 10 years old spiritually, so I'm a little immature, so you just got to give me that one. So, um, so you know, so I was able to thankfully get out of the side of the house, make it to my neighbor's porch. And that was a whole debacle. I mean, it was, it was comedic on the, on the neighbor's porch when, I mean, to one of the, the, the 
police came and they couldn't even recognize what race I was. The paramedics came and the actual paramedics stopped at the bottom of the porch and I'm sitting there on the ground looking at them. I'm like, keep it coming. And, <laughs> and they have a conversation and they look at me going, how are we gonna get him off the porch? I was like, what do you mean how are you gonna get me off the porch? And they're like, he's too, gonna be too slippery. And then they go, and he's too big. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, in my mind I'm going, you just called me fat. <laughs> I'm like, and because here's the thing, I am not overweight, I'm, not, I'm short for my weight, I'm not overweight. <laughs> I'm supposed to be 6'8", not 5'8", but I was like, I mean, it was just crazy, I mean, but thankfully, was able to get to the hospital, and there was no greater feeling in the world to all of a sudden wake up um, about a week later and to realize you're still here. I just remember hearing my wife's voice. Yeah, we'll see if you're glad I'm here in a couple more minutes, but, but I just remember sitting there going, man, it's just, I, I just was overwhelmed that God would give me another chance. He would give me more days, more years in this, in this world to, to live for him and to love my family and be a witness to those people that God was calling me, the people who still needed me. And I remember laying in the hospital and those words, they still need you, they still need you, they just start coming back. And I, it's amazing how the, one of the first things I had to deal with is I had to reconcile, like, what do I do with a God who allowed this? Have you everyone ever dealt with that? When bad things happen and you go, you want to blame God? I mean, I'm sitting here going, like, I'm a pastor. This shouldn't happen to me. This happens to bad people, not pastors. <laughs> now, this happens to the drug dealers and the gangbangers, not me. And I just remember there, and I write about in the book, and it's out there. It's not for sale. It's there for you to be a resource, and donations all goes to our church plant that we just planted over a year ago. But I write about how I, I put God on trial. Because I was just like, God, your word says you're ever-present help in time of need, and <laughs> doggone it, you were nowhere around. You said you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You ain't a brother. And I just remember just sitting there wrestling with this, and it was amazing. God just, I love how God doesn't, isn't intimidated by our honest conversation with them. And I remember just sitting there having these thoughts, putting God on trial, and God just used witnesses and people around just to help me navigate through this. The doctors say, were amazed. Everyone kept gathering around me, looking at me. I'm like, why is everyone looking at me? But it was, I would stab 37 times. And they said if one was a little bit deeper to the left, right, just missed my eye, two to the throat that didn't go through and hit the juggler, one to the chest, my whole chest was just a big bruise. And they're like, if one wouldn't have been, you could have died, you could have been blind, you would have bled out, you would have been paralyzed. And they're like, when we did the x-rays, we were just amazed how every vital organ was just missed. And I was like, and then they were like, and then the detective's like, how did the knife break? And I'm like, that wasn't God, that was me. I'm like, remember, the first stab hit, went to the abdomen, and these are abs of steel. <laughs> I like literally, I think I heard it go, ching! And then when the knife came down, I just said, snap, because it was already weakened. I'm like, that wasn't God, that was me. But they were like, if that knife doesn't break, man, it's a game changer at that moment. And then the biggest thing was, you know, and then they, and my wife helped me, and they're like, Kevin, do you realize we were all supposed to be home? The night before, my kids were in Illinois, were supposed to come back. And the night before, we said, no, you keep them there. And said, why don't you go be with them for the week? And so when my wife got that actual call, she had just gotten there. They said R-A-M-B-U-S, and it was the, that's the best they could sell because that's when I told them my name right before they put me under surgery. 
And I'm just like, my wife was like, what could have happened? Isn't it amazing how we blame God for what happened, but we never thank him for what could have really happened? And I just remember sitting wrestling with this. And then the, the, the deal sealer for me about God was when the detective said, we don't know how you got from your kitchen to your neighbor's porch because we see you lost consciousness. There was a whole pool of blood where you were laying and the blood spilled over and covered the first two steps that led out the side and they were completely covered. And we saw you stood up there because you used the walls to balance yourself. But from your kitchen to your neighbor's porch, there's no footprints, there's no drops of blood, there's nothing. And when the detectives found me, they couldn't identify what race I was. They couldn't tell if I was white, if I was black, if I was Hispanic. All I was wearing was shorts, and just tell them to tell you every night I wear like snowmobile suits, because you never know when you're going to be running around in the neighborhood at midnight, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyways, they were just like, how did you, and I'm just like, I don't know. And just all of a sudden, God just realized, and here was the thing. When I felt God was the farthest from me, he was actually closer than I ever could have imagined. The issue I had with God, and this is key when you learn to forgive other people, is you have to understand that God is still there. And for me, I remember as I'm wrestling, I realized here's my issue, and it's some, I think it's like what many of us face. My issue with God is I asked for a verse, angels, and lights, and God didn't give me what I asked for. He didn't give me what I thought I needed, and I'm so thankful that he didn't give me what I asked for. He gave me what I what he knew I needed and that he knew I didn't need those things, but what I needed was my, parent, my family not to be there. He knew that I needed the police to be right around the corner so when the man came out and looked and saw me on the porch, they heard us. The greatest miracle of it all was the Detroit police made it within 90 seconds to this house. That was the miracle. <laughs> I'm serious, I've called with people, there's a knife, guy with a knife at the church and an hour and a half later they stroll in. I mean, it's like, that's normal. And so I'm sitting here, and so God just said, he just let me understand that when I, that, that's the way, and I want you to know here today, when people hurt you, wrong you, the tendency is to think that God has allowed this to happen. You no, know, he didn't, it's, you know, he didn't allow it. Listen, he might have authorized it. He didn't author it, but he, but you know what? For whatever reason, God sometimes allows things to happen. It wasn't him, but this was, this was the enemy that orchestrated this. And so as I settled, God, you're, you were close to me, you were there, I had to begin to deal with these two other questions. The first question was, what do I do with this man now who did this to me, who stabbed me 37 times? What do I do with this man who, who created this incredible pain? And you guys are in this series, so you guys should know this answer, so let's take a quick test. When someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, when someone you know, uh, breaks covenant with you, wounds you with their words, when someone takes something from you, takes advantage of you, overlooks you, takes credit for something you've done, fires you from a job unfairly, you know, judges you unfairly. When, you, the story can be just a gazillion different storylines, but when those things happen, what are we supposed to do as believers? Okay, okay, forgive. You know, so let's just emphasize, you know, so when, this ha when those things happen and you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, okay? We're not talking Oprah follower, we're not talking Fox News follower, we're not talking Trump follower, we're not talking Democrat Republic, we're not talking people of color or Caucasian, we're not talking about Pentecostal, Catholic, we're talking you are a Christ follower. When someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, when someone offends you, every single time, what should be our response? We should what? Awesome, y'all failed. You get a 50%. And 
And I think that's what most times that we do. We kind of go like, we take this attitude when people hurt us, oh, we're supposed to forgive. Like, yeah, we should, we shouldn't, maybe. Listen, let me give you a couple of verses. Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13, just the last part of it. It talks about this and it says this. It says, forgiving one another. That's the 50% right. We're supposed to forgive one another. But not just forgive one another. We're to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. That's different than just forgive someone. Not, forgiveness means to cancel the debt, to let it go. You know, to, to, nothing is needed. It's like you've, you've now canceled it. It's, they're forgiven. It's, it's over. And he says, no, you're not supposed to just forgive. You should forgive as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how many here have been forgiven by God? How many have been forgiven a lot by God? How many have ever like, rolled this one out? Like you said, God, please forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again. And then the next day you did it again. And you said, God, please forgive me. What does he do? Does he forgive you? Okay, and then you said, God, I'm really sorry. I promise you, it'll never happen again. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, boop, there it is again. You blew it again. And you go, God, will you forgive me? Does he forgive you? God forgives us, not just cancels the debt, but he fully forgives us. He always forgives us, and he completely forgives us, doesn't he? That's the forgiveness we receive on a regular, daily basis from God. And that is what our forgiveness towards people who hurt us and wrong us is supposed to look. We're not called to just forgive. We're called to, for, called to forgive just as, in the same way as he forgives. Our forgiveness should look like his forgiveness. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, if you want to learn about your need for forgiveness, go to the cross. We're good at that. God, I need forgiveness. We go to the cross. Forgive me. But he says, if you want to learn about forgiving others, hang out there for a while. That's a big difference. For me and my journey, I found myself sitting at the cross, realizing how much God has forgiven me over the years, just for doing dumb stuff, for just being rebellious, for being foolish, for just being in the flesh, for being Kevin. And he just always forgave me. And I just had this new encounter with God's personal forgiveness in my life. And when I had that, when I looked at what this man did to me, it wasn't about what he did to me or what he caused now. It's just, I need to forgive him. Why? Because I've been forgiven much. Our basis of forgiving others, it's not that they apologize. It's not that they make amends. It's not that they do anything right. It's, listen, it's because you've been forgiven by him. That's why and how we forgive. But it doesn't just stop there. God's forgiveness is amazing. How many are thankful for God's forgiveness? God's forgiveness is amazing. Uh, um, in Hebrews 10, 17, it says this, that he doesn't just forgive us, but now he remembers our sins and, their, and our lawless deeds no more. I mean, that's amazing. That's a powerful statement. He cancels the debt, and then he remembers our sins no more. It's like, is that possible? Can an all-knowing God actually remember no more? It sounds to me a little bit close to like, he forgets our sins, he remembers no more. Like when I remember, don't remember something, my wife's always on me, you're always forgetting things. I'm like, no, I just didn't remember. I'm like, no, that's forgetting. And I just remember struggling with this and, and wrestling with, okay, God, how do I remember what this guy did to me 
no more. How am I, I'm supposed to forgive as you forgive me? That's impossible. Well, it's really not. Part of it is understanding what does it mean when God remembers your sins no more? And this is what it means to forget or to remember no more. It means this. It means to no longer be influenced or affected by something. In other words, when we sin before God and God forgives us, he cancels the debt, what happens is now those past sins, they no longer are gonna influence God's attitude towards us. They no longer affect our position and our standing with him. And it doesn't change how he feels about me. In other words, God, when he forgives us, he doesn't put us on probation, waiting for us to mess up again. He doesn't operate on the three strikes and out system that some of you are so accustomed to living by. He doesn't say, oh, you did it again, you're not, he doesn't make you prove or earn right standing with him. He simply says, you're fully forgiven, completely forgiven, and you know what? Your past is not gonna influence what I wanna do in you, how I feel about you, let's move forward. That's how God deals with us. But the problem is here, we're called to forgive others just as God forgave us in Christ. In other words, that's what our forgiveness towards others should look like. We should be able to cancel the debt. They don't need to do anything to make us forgive them. We forgive because we've been forgiven, but then we're supposed to begin to move forward by not keeping them in probation and on trial. We're supposed to now not allow people or the events that they've done affect us or influence any longer. And so here's what I want to kind of disclose with this is, what does it mean? How does that lurk out? Philippians 3, 13 and 14 puts it like this. The apostle Paul says, the one thing I do, forgetting. Everyone say forgetting. Okay, great. See, listen, in black church, people talk back to me. <laughs> okay. I'd have people running up and down aisles. Oh, forget me. You know, so I'm like, come on. I know this is Wisconsin Packer land here, but I mean, Sorry. Everyone say forgetting. All right. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Paul is telling us if you, the one thing he does every day is the one thing. He doesn't wake up and first thing he do does his devotional life. He doesn't do his prayer meeting. He, does, he says the one thing I do, if he's going to do anything and every day Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to forget what's behind me, strain towards what's ahead. I press it. He's giving us a picture. And the picture is this. It's of a runner running a race. And as this runner's running the race, he's running, forgetting what's behind. He's talking about our position in the race. We're running from first place. It means there's things in our lives that are in second, third, and fourth that are always going to try to overtake you in your race. And he says, I'm running. I'm forgetting what's behind me. I'm straying towards. So it's talking about your pace in the race. So you're running from the lead. You're running from first place. And you're running as fast as you can. You're leaning forward. And you're pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which it means you're running with a focus. So when people hurt us and we cancel the debt and we say, I forgive you, how many know that the after effects oftentimes is the most difficult part of the fight to forgive? You remember what they do. You hear the after effects. For me, this one guy stole the innocence of my kids. We had to move four times in five years. I didn't sleep through our evening in five years. I mean, I can go on and on. We went bankrupt. We lost everything. And every time I faced a struggle because of this one moment, it was like everything that he did and everything about that man over would overtake me in my race to the point one day I'm driving and I hear this voice, kill yourself. And it was because I was so angry, but I forgave him. But I wasn't running from the lead in my life. 
I was getting bitter. I was retracing the footsteps of his blood trail when I stabbed him and I wanted him to come back. I was waiting. I upgraded my dog. I didn't have a tennis racket. I had something else. I wanted him to come back. And God would say, no, forgive and forget. Win the fight to forget. Run from the lead. Run as fast as you can, focused in on me in a way that you forget there's this part of your story that's constantly gonna try to overtake you in the race, in your, in your spiritual race. And I just remember, and, and you can read this, I won't go, have time to go through it, but the life of Joseph. Genesis 50, 20 became my verse. Joseph said, you intended to harm me. He's talking about his brothers. The people in his life, not the devil, not Satan, not Lucifer, no, the people. You intend to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done right now, the saving of many lives. It was 39 years after his brother, his brothers pushed him in a pit. And I always wondered, how did Joseph end that way? That's what I want to be. I want to end strong because people need me. And when I studied the life of Joseph, there was a significant moment in Genesis 41 that would happen 18 years after to his brothers. So 20 years before, he says that powerful line, what's happening today. He becomes a dad, and he names his firstborn Manasseh, and it says, God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. How did Joseph end so strong? How was he able to, at the end of his race, he remembered everything his brothers did to him because when he was talking to him 39 years later, he was weeping. He remembered. But you know what happened? Almost 20 years before, the Bible says God made him forget his troubles in his father's household. In other words, the people who wronged him and everything that they created, prison sentences, being forgotten, falsely accused, everything that came out at trial. And I said, that's me. I want to forget. And God began to help me to understand how do I win my, the key for me winning my fight to forgive was not just to forgive this guy, but to learn how to run the lead, run from the lead in my life to forget, to keep things behind me. Not talk about them, not rehearse them. It all came to closure one day. I was driving to church and it kind of made sense to me. And I, was, I had my Joseph moment that, that that man intended harm, but God intended for the good for what was happening today. And that day that this truth just kind of opened up to my mind was I was driving through the neighborhoods of Detroit, cutting through the neighborhoods to get to the church, and I kind of like ran a stop sign. I rolled right through it, <laughs> and just kind of, and as I'm approaching then, I just realized a cop was coming. He pulled it in reverse, started coming, and kicked it in. The sirens on. I'm like, oh, great. Pulled in behind this car dealership so no one in my church can know that their pastor got pulled over by the police, tucked in behind neatly, and um, Guy comes out there. I had everything ready. I'm like, I'm sorry, officer. I did it. And he's like, Pastor Kevin. I'm like, no. Oh, he knows me. This is awful. So I'm like, I'm sorry. And I looked up. And I was like, hey, Officer George. Just so happened to be it was Officer George. He was one of the two officers that found me on the porch. And he said, I saw it was your truck. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. What did you do? And I was like, no, give me this stuff back. I'm not guilty. I'm like, I'm innocent. He goes, no, I saw your truck. And he goes, uh. I had to tell you something. He said, I've been watching you the last two years and how you said you forgave this guy. I watched how you came back to the church and you said you forgave this guy. I watched how when they, the trial and the sentencing took place two years later and he, after he kept denying it was him and all this stuff, never said the apology. I stood up in the court and said, obviously I forgave him, but 
instead of writing a, vic- writing a victim statement, I wrote, I wrote a life statement. And I did what Joseph did. I made God the center of my story. Not what this guy did to me, not the hurt. See, I can talk to you about what he did, but listen, that's not leading my race. <laughs> Because God's doing something greater than anything that that guy, that stuff now is so far back. That man, Wesley, I still write him today in prison. He just wrote me last week. I've sent stuff to his mom for Mother's Day. I've tried to lead him to Christ, and I'm praying that, hey, man, we can say, but listen, that guy is so far behind me in my journey. He's like in 20th place, 21st. All the pain he created me, that's so far behind me now. But it was because in this moment, this officer said, I watched you and I saw how you said you forgave. I watched how you did all this stuff and it's changed my life. And I just wanted to let you know, I went to the church for the first time in like 15 years and I gave my heart to the Lord. And I pulled you over because I don't have a Bible. (laughs) He goes, do you have a Bible? And I'm like, I own a failing bookstore. Yes, I do. (laughs) And so I was like, I have a, a lot of Bibles. And so was able to, and, and here, it's amazing. I just married him and his wife just this last year. The other officer has come to Christ. The mayor and the judge show up, and, and here's the whole thing. When p- the people of God could learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven them, I'm just gonna tell you, you will see a revival take place. <laughs> You don't need to go out and do the latest tracks passing out and standing on the corners. You're going to turn or burn. (laughs) Listen, here it is. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Let people see what God's forgiveness really looks like on this level. And they'll go, how is that possible? And then you'll go, it's because he's forgiven me. And they go, ah, I want that. My prayer for Celebration Church is this, that this you will today not only become known as the house of the forgiven, but you'll become the house known as the house of the forgiving. Pastor, would you come? I'm gonna just pray real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for this house. God, you're doing a deep work, and God, I pray that this work of forgiveness, God, it would, it would really resonate within their hearts, and people would begin to step up and enter the ring for the fight to forgive. And as they do so, God, not only will they find their own freedom, their own victories, but God, I pray that their testimony of forgiveness would be so impactful that God, those who are far from God would take a step closer just because they saw what God's forgiveness looks like here on earth. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kevin. I'm going to ask our ushers to uh, get ready to come at the campuses and here to uh, get ready to serve communion. And you can come forward with the, uh, the communion elements. We're getting ready to reflect on what Christianity is really all about. It's about being forgiven. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed. His body was broken so that we could have forgiveness of sins and that we could be made whole. But what we need to do then is to turn around and live that towards others. If any church anywhere does this anywhere right, every church is a place of the forgiven. What most churches fail miserably at is they are not places of the forgiving. We tend to hold things against people. Somebody did something wrong. I didn't appreciate it. They let me down. Someone said something to my kid they shouldn't have said. Someone did this, that, or the other, and they become very bitter and angry. And in an effort to hold up what is right, 
we don't forgive people trying to make them pay and it ought not to be that way. If there's anything I want Celebration Church to be known as is that it is a place of the forgiving, not just the forgiven. We've been forgiven, but we need to forgive others who hurt us, who disappoint us, who let us down. But it all starts with being forgiven by Christ. And then, as Kevin said, we forgive others as he has forgiven us. Maybe this morning you're here and you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Before we take communion together, I want us to all pray a prayer together. And if you'll pray this prayer and mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can begin your first steps of faith this morning and begin to experience God's forgiveness in your life. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Amen.